Well, it's your neighborhood pal, Alex Keller. And your, <laughs> and your city street creeper, Mike Harding. You're always the opposite of me. Well, you know, you gotta mix it up. I guess. This is the Fantastic Voyage. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm Mike Harding. And I'm not. And you're not. And you're not. See, we're opposites. Oh, that's true. Wait, is the opposite of Mike Harding is like everyone else, though? I guess. I don't know. Who is Bizarro Mike Harding? You ever mm. get that... F- okay, let me ask you something. And I don't know if it's just me, but maybe once every two years it crosses my mind. And not a serious thought, but just something where I'm like, Huh. Do you ever get that feeling that it's like a Truman Show thing? No. I mean, I did as a kid. After I saw the Truman Show, I was like, everything's a fucking lie, maybe. Maybe everything's like an elaborate projection. Like, I go on vacation. It's like I'm in like a a wind tunnel with like a a monitor that's just like passing clouds by or something. Yeah. Uh, And I, after, like, that was never like a serious thing. I was always like, what if? Right. It's a good movie to show to kids to sort of like question everything if you really want them to, (laughs) you know not buy into stuff but uh well just the physics of that movie or the physics of the show that was made in that movie right like kind of fucked up not in this i mean okay there's the whole thing where they're filming this guy and not telling him right i mean that's mm-hmm. fucked up in the movie but when you really think about some of the stuff like like okay the guy's married mm-hmm. right like yeah are people watching him bang sure there's by uh, you know, or like you know, those are uh, <laughs> big for the ratings. Well, like are like masturbation, like like are they like you know what I mean? Like do they cut? Does Ed Harris creatively cut away? I probably to, to check in on like his best friend at the at the ice yeah, cream. They should. I wonder if there's like <laughs> side stories, but probably not though. I would hope there is because honestly, dude, if I turn that on, and the first thing I see is like. That, I'm not gonna watch that anymore. You know. I wonder if they have maybe this. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's one of those things you can't think about too hard because it doesn't really matter. It's not really I mean, about that. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like uh, what do you call it? Like um, like hyperdrive kamikaze. It just doesn't really it doesn't really matter. Don't worry about it. Hyperdrive kamikaze. What in the hell episode that? eight. What the thing in episode eight? We. Oh. Hey man, you know I don't know. I don't have any problem with it. It's that. one of those things. It's just a thing. Like it's like don't think about it too hard because nothing makes sense if you do. Uh, see, I don't know if it doesn't like, make sense though. I, it why does, doesn't it make sense? I'm sure you could find a thousand reasons why it doesn't make sense, and I think I can come up with a thousand reasons why it does because it doesn't matter because it's fucking fantasy. Well, I guess what I mean is like, why do you think it doesn't make sense? Because people on the internet says it doesn't. Okay, my whole thing. Just for the record, I won't go down this rabbit hole too much, Alex. I know a lot of people have a problem with that scene because they're like, why would anybody do that? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, it's like, why hasn't anyone done that before? Is the, right. the big one. But here's the thing, everybody. It's like we have jets and a bunch of Air Force shit. You know what I mean? Like the US and, and all these other countries, they have 
like jet planes and shit, and it doesn't mean that they're turning around and fucking kamikazing into people. Well, the there's I- a desperate measure. The idea I see is like, why don't they just put a bunch of hyperdrives on rocks and shoot rocks into stuff? And it's like, I don't really know how hyperdrives work, so that. Maybe, but yeah, I, I like know. the problem is hyperdrive is so vague, anyways. Well, so a hyperdrive. Let's in, not worry about it. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 know. it's uh, it's space fantasy, and it doesn't really break anything. Um, I'm sure like you'll, there'll be a book that comes out next year or two years that explains why it's never been done before, or whatever the <laughs> fuck. Because that's how that shit happens. It's like why is the Death Star suddenly appear behind a planet? Why can't it just blow up Yavin right there? Who cares? It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Also, yeah. cars doesn't make sense if you think about it. Cars, the yeah, movie? Yeah, a bunch of cars. How's that work? It doesn't. Don't worry about it. Uh, most Pixar things, it's uh, it's with inanimate objects. Yeah, it, yeah, whatever. You ever it, heard that? F- it's just that world. It's just the physics of that world, and that's how it works. Yeah, you ever hear that fun story about how they like tried so hard to figure out how to get Lightning McQueen in that movie to take out a map? You ever seen that? No. Oh, it was it was like this little fun little thing. It's like they like thought like of like a dozen ways. Like how is he gonna? He needs to pull up a map, and then someone's like, "Why don't we just have it so they cut to the scene? The map's already on the ground." And so that's how they did it. Wow. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, it's just kind of funny. I mean, I would say, hey man, let him use his tongue, and he goes into the 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 driver's the driver door window. Or no no no, it'd be the, the the passenger's seat window, and he he opens the glove box with his tongue, and then dabs the map. <laughs> he, he dabs the map with his tongue. I think him like spitting out a map was one of the options they considered. <laughs> I don't recall specifically. The only one I remember specifically is that like it unfurls from his his antenna, his like radio antenna. No, that was one of the ideas. That was like yeah, being bounced around. Yeah, it's funny though. It's funny. Yeah. Car three's all right. So Never seen it. It's all right. I saw one and two. Three is the best of of all of them. Really? Yeah, surprisingly. I mean, oh. like it's not like great, but it's of the Cars trilogy. It's probably the best one. Yeah, it surprised me. Hey, it says a lot being able to come back with that third movie and making it the best. You know, out of the series, that's it's like a Toy Story three right there. I mean, I think that's probably easier to do with uh, animation than live action, of course, right? Why? <laughs> Why? Because with live action, you have this ticking clock. Animation, you have a ticking clock. Well, no. What I mean is like, okay, like between Cars 1 and Cars 3, how many years was it? It was like 10 plus years, right? It was probably like 12 years or something. When was the first Cars? It was like... 2006. Six? Okay. So that's what I mean is like, okay, so let's say it was Owen Wilson in a car suit. Instead, uh, like, let's say it was all live action. You had Larry the Cable Guy and you had Owen Wilson. And this is a live action movie and they're just like in car suits, right? Mm-hmm. So the first movie's made in 2006. And then the and then by the time you get to the third movie, it's uh, 2017. Like, you're going to look at these guys and be like, dude, they've aged up like... I mean, I, that kind of makes sense in that 11 way. 11 years or whatever. And that you can keep the casting consistent. Like, Craig T. Nelson's like 75, and he plays Mr. Fantastic. Right. That's what I or mean. Or not Mr. Fantastic, sorry, Mr. Incredible. And like, yeah. uh, Violet's like 45. That's what I mean. It's like you don't have to come up with these excuses as to why this is happening. 
11 years like later, it's easy right? to main visual consistency yes. yes but at the same time from a storytelling point of view there's no difference between making a live action movie and an animation movie well no no no. i uh I, in terms of like you know making it uh an easy it's not easier i say no no it's not easier to make a good story but what i'm saying is like you potentially could spend more time on making a good story than you that's not really how it works i mean you could but it's not how it works no but you you, you see what i'm saying though right yeah like, like you have these live action trilogies where it's like okay you they come out two or three years apart from each other so okay the first movie is a success so you're like oh fuck we need to get the second movie out before all of our actors are dead right and then same with the third movie it's like oh fuck we got to get this third movie out yeah you know what i mean and you could do that thing that like an animation like you know oh this actor dies we can cast a sound alike it yeah. sucks but like no one you know kids don't notice if it's for kids so right um yeah. Movies is a little harder to cast. Um, in that, if you lose a main actor, yeah, totally. It, uh, yeah, you know what kind of bothers me about animated movies is they don't write scripts and then make movies. What do you mean? Like, a lot of animated movies, at least at the big places, they make the movie while they write it essentially. They kind of like write like a general idea and they kind of like storyboard it and then they start oh. making it and then they like revise the storyboard. Like an outline kind of? Yeah. Then, yeah it's like, like outline based. But kinda. they kind of, like basically, or like they do it that way, but then they kind of like change things because like the problem with animation, it takes so long, you second guess yourself. And so you well, start yeah. changing things not for the sake of better story, but for the sake of different because it's like, it's, I've seen this thing a thousand times. What if we did it this way instead and it doesn't become yeah. better? And then it just sort of gets out of control. So well, then again, like availability, I think availability for voice acting is a lot easier than availability for like actual that, yeah actors to come back and like like the whole fucking Superman mustache thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, animated Superman don't need no mustache. <laughs> um, but I find a lot of animated movies sort of lack things like strong themes or like you know through lines or that kind of stuff, like. Paranorman, I believe, was written by a guy, like, there's, like, one screenwriter, and he wrote the screenplay, and they made a movie out of it. Mm. And it's, like, that movie's got, like, really strong themes of, like, yeah. bullying and being afraid of people and that kind of stuff, and it's a great movie, in my opinion. Um, and, like, a lot of movies, uh, a lot more sort of, like, recent movies tend to be, like, a little more wishy-washy and you know, exactly what they're trying to say. Like, Finding Dory, for example, I'm not really sure what that movie was even about, if you really think about it. Still haven't seen it. Because, like, if you really think about it, it's kind of about, like, if you have a mental problem, just deal with it. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, uh, I don't know if, if that is just, like, I don't know if it's, like, an intentional trend or something. Like, if, if, if animated movies are intentionally trying to steer away from steer farther away from that or if it really is just circumstance right with these individual productions i think it's like a lot of the times it's just that's the way it's always been done so we'll keep doing it that way and right again it's a lot of like this just like doesn't like we don't know if this is working or not so we'll just change it and that kind of stuff and i know at some places they'll make a movie that works but then they purposely um kind of tear it apart to and then they'll do a thing where like okay this draft works like we're all happy with this story let's kind of push it keep pushing it until it falls apart but then they never go back to the draft that worked right yeah and then they just keep kind of then they have to start from scratch which doesn't make sense to me no like, yeah, I've yeah. Heard stories from various i'm not like this very like various like a lot of different houses do it that way and, well like you and i have been in these situations where you know you're in a room you're watching the playback of something right and like 
And it, it there's just this feeling in the room where it's like, oh, we need to just uh, like, um, like especially okay with with uh, animation, and I'm sure it's live action too. But it's like you're watching this one singular clip of something, right? And it's looping over and over and over again, and you're watching whatever this two second clip just over and over and over again, and then you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself. Huh, I have a problem with this shot, but but I don't know what it is, right? And then you find something wrong with it, but then there was nothing really wrong with it, right? It just yeah. it just wasn't something like I think. And I, again, I don't know if it's the same with live action, but I know with animation, especially with animators, like I think there's a misconception that a lot of people have where every single shot you see in a sequence has to be this thing that really wows you, right? Uh, yeah. And if it doesn't, then there's there must be something wrong with it. I think I, I play the Stanley Kubrick method of thinking is a movie needs eight things, eight sequences that wow, mm-hmm. and that's really all you need. Like, Because people, like every shot will, you know, it's cool to make every shot important and visually interesting and important in the story, but like, you know... Everything can't be if everything's important, then it becomes overloaded, you know. Right? Yeah, there are gonna be yeah, because there are gonna be shots where it's just a like a a, a still static shot of someone talking, mm. and then it cuts, and, and that's it. You get Bayhem in that instance where every shot is given the equal weight. Like there's <laughs> yeah. actually like studies on this. Every shot's given the equal cinematic weight in a Michael Bay movie, and it becomes really hard to fucking pay attention. Oh yeah. When you know some shot, someone is talking, the camera's floating around them and like flipping all over the place versus the actual action sequence. If they're treated the same, yeah, my mind, like what they're they're all equally unimportant. Oh yeah, and exhausting and tiring. Um, but yeah, as far as themes in animated movies go, like, are, is there something you can think of specifically? Well, like, no, like, more, like, seems like some some movies, like like Coco, like like a rock solid movie. Like it depends. Uh, like you can tell, like when a movie's confused and had a bad production, when movies that don't. Like Brave, oh, yeah. Brave is a confused movie. You can tell it had a bad, uh, like a really rough production, like right. a good dinosaur. And um, I haven't seen uh, as many like DreamWorks movies as I should have, so I can't tell you exactly. Mm. I haven't seen a DreamWorks movie in a long time, actually. When's the last DreamWorks movie I saw? Oh, I guess it's okay, Underpants. So that movie actually was pretty solid. It doesn't have much, of, <laughs> but it doesn't have much in the way of themes. It's more like solid, good kids' entertainment, but it's not like a strong thematic movie. I right. Think. Well, and that's the thing is, like, I guess, I guess the question also is, is like, how much of a theme doesn't a movie necessarily need? Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's just like you know, like a lot of movies. It's just like you feel like when you finish a movie, it's like when a movie's got a lot of good themes. You finish and you feel like that was like a nice juicy steak. Like that movie, sure, like, yeah, had a lot of good stuff going on. It had themes. It had things to say, and it kind of felt really like I feel like full. I feel really just like full of just like as opposed to just surface stuff. Yeah. Where you're just like, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's that. Um, you see, speaking of Pixar, you see the new trailer for The Incredibles two, which Incredibles do. Which one? Since they came out a couple days ago. Oh, okay, probably not. I've seen two trailers for, or I saw the teaser and I've seen the trailer for it. But is it good? I don't know. I hope it's the movie's good. I can't. I just can't get excited about it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I want to keep my expectations low. Not saying because I think it's going to be bad. Because I don't think it's going to be bad. But, um, you know, it's definitely one of those things where I think I would be pretty bummed out if it disappointed me. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Well, I don't know. I guess like, I'm not really expecting much, which is why I'm not. I am not excited because I uh, any kind of sequel that takes place, you know, that's like we're making it 12 years later or however long it's been. Right. Automatically, it depends on the kind of movie, I suppose. But with the same characters 12 years later, that's like always a big like. Well, we'll see. Well, that's with exact- certain exceptions, yeah. like usually when it's like we got new characters and older characters. And the old characters in the background, like a Blade Runner or Star Wars or something, I'm always like, okay, cool, yeah. And then when it's like, we're the exact same cast, but it's like 25 years later, what? <laughs> I'm always like, ah, is this really necessary? I mean, you know, just devil's advocate here, like, between Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3, I think it was, what, 11 years? I guess so, but that was sort of... Also, the another thing is like, I don't like duologies, like trilogies. If it's the third movie, if it was like if they made Incredibles one, two, like two years after each other, and then now Incredibles three was coming out, I'd be a lot more like on board with it. Mm-hmm. It's usually like when a singular sequel comes out yeah. so late, it's a little like like Dumb and Dumberer. Uh, yeah. Did you see Dumb and Dumberer? Yes, I did. It's awful. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. My uh, God. Um, like the Godfather three people don't like, but if, <laughs> but like the timing of that, it, I'm fine with. Like you know, oh, it's like the Godfather three, but it takes place. You know, it's been it's uh, what was it? So seventy four to ninety. Ninety, yeah. So sixteen, 16 years. years. I I would have. That's like that's fine. I I like things that are trilogies. They just feel more complete to me. So if you're finishing your do all, you're finishing your two movie thing with another movie later down the road. I'm cool with that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it. I, I think it. 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 Uh, it's a lot less about when it's made, right? Like when a movie takes place in its own series and stuff. I think that doesn't matter as much. I think what the problem is is like, and like with uh, Godfather Three, I think this was totally what it was. Is I mean, nineteen seventy four Francis Ford Coppola compared to 1990 Francis Ford Coppola, two guys in completely different... Uh, one guy, but split into two. Yeah, he's in a different place in his life. Different, completely different place in his life, right? Like, it, you know, there was a lot... There was a big gap, like... And correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I feel like the 80s was not too kind to Coppola, wasn't it? After Apocalypse Now, I think he, like... Apocalypse Now, I think, took a toll on him. Right, and he based sort on, of... He, like, based on his own admission... Yeah, but he did like Captain EO and like really that was him. He directed that. Yeah. Oh wow. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. And um, you know that Doug Benson was was in that. Yeah. I, I, uh, right. There was a podcast or something. And he was talking about how uh, like they had all these dancers for like all the dance sequences, right? In these in those like really colorful suits and stuff, and then. They, <laughs> There was some, I think there was like, you know, the last, some last day of production where they just needed um, extras in those same suits, but just sort of fucking around, mm-hmm. like not doing anything coordinate or anything. And, and the audience is supposed to think that it's the same, it, they're the same yeah, people, yeah. but they're not. Because they probably look like, what, like, there's like faceless stormtrooper types. Right. But he was, he was one of those. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. Godfather 3, man, like, here's the thing. I liked a lot of the stuff they were trying to do. They It just wasn't done that great. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah. I, I, I Yeah. Like. It's like a fine, it's an okay movie. It's like a three out of four. Uh, it's been a while, but I recall it being like, yeah, that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah, yeah. And like, same with like, um, like I always, 
When I think of the Dark Knight trilogy, I always compare it to the Godfather trilogy. Yeah, that's probably it's not yeah. a bad way of going about doing it. You got these two titans in this other okay movie. Because Dark Knight Rises, I thought it was there was a lot of cool ideas in it, but it just it just didn't as a whole. It just that's didn't a movie work. that's missing thematic through lines. Yes, the Dark Knight Rises. I feel like Nolan's heart wasn't in it because Nolan is like famous for having really almost obnoxious some thematic through lines. And yeah. the Dark Knight Rises, like, what is that movie about? Like, it's kind of about like Batman rising to the occasion, but it's like that's well, kind of like what every Batman movie's about. The impression I had was. And it wasn't, it, and, it, and it was a very weak through line. But the impression I had was, okay, Bruce Wayne had Bruce Wayne was Batman because he didn't care about his life, right? And then in Dark Knight Rises, it had to be like, hey, your motivation in life can't be that you just don't care if you die. Like your motivation in life has to be you do stuff because you care about living, right? And that was that whole, like, actually, I mean, like, one of the scenes that I really loved in that movie was the whole thing where it was like, you know, he keeps going up and he keeps doing the thing with the rope and it never works and he keeps falling down the, the pit, right? Mm-hmm. And then the one dude next to him conveniently is like, hey, man, the only way you're going to get out is if, like, you don't have the rope. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, the only way you're going to get out is, like, if you know that your life is on the line if you fall, and so then he climbs up without the rope and he gets out, right? And I was like, oh, okay, that's like a really cool, like, yeah, visual metaphor for kind of like what's going on in Bruce Wayne's head. But, you know. Yeah, but like, again, like, I don't know. It's just sort of muddy. The third act was, I th- I think the third act is what brought the whole ship down. Like, yeah. Well, because, yeah, every yeah. Christopher Nolan climax sort of is really about the theme of the movie like you know about fear anarchy or right um uh was it was inception about i forget whatever what's not important dreams you know, like dreams <laughs> or love the power of love oh yeah and all that fun yeah. stuff but yeah you know we're eight we're eight years out from when inception came out and I can honestly say that I ha- I don't think I'd ever need to see the mo- see that movie again. I don't think I've seen it since 2010. I think I rewatched it that year. But I don't think I've seen it since. Yeah. Yeah. And I when it came out, it was it was hailed as this big like amazing masterpiece. It's a really good movie, though. It's a it's a okay. I really liked it, but I it, I don't I wasn't like floored by it. You know. I that was the first time I ever purposely avoided seeing like anything for the movie like trailers commercials or something so the only thing i got out of that's like oh it's a heist movie that's fun um i don't really care like people who do that that's great but i mm-hmm. don't i like watching trailers so um but uh so but i just remember thinking like oh this is like a really cool fun movie like i don't know it's like a, it's a really good heist movie really not it a is, good heist movie oh yeah it's a great heist movie yeah i, I uh, I felt like it didn't really pick up until they actually went into the heist, though, which was like halfway through. Yeah, but then I've, I, I've at the time I described it as like the longest climax in cinema. <laughs> it's just like an hour and fifteen minutes of just like nonstop thrills. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is pretty great. Um, yeah, I hope that solo movies like that. I love a good heist. Yes, I have high hopes. I think it'll be good. I, I think have no hopes. You have no hopes? We'll see. Not even a new hope? Oh, ha. I see what <laughs> you did there. Why don't you force yourself to awaken? 
Oh, shut All up. All right. Shut up. Don't be a rogue one. Okay, that's All it. Right. I'm cutting you off. <laughs> cutting the feed. <laughs> anyway, so I saw some movies. Yeah, what'd you see? So I saw a couple of movies, a couple of, couple of classics, a couple of hits. Uh, my part of it, what did I see? So I saw a movie that's very interesting in that like, it's a weird movie. Um, it's kind of uh, old-fashioned. I mean, all, all the movies I saw are actually pretty old-fashioned. They're all in black and white, actually weird. Hmm. Um, I saw a, a bit of a Beatles flick, uh, A Hard Day's Night. Oh, how was that? It's interesting. It's weird. Yeah? It's good. It's fun, light entertainment, but it's a sort of... It's got like... It does the thing... I've seen Help, so I kind of knew what I was getting into. It's like, mm. oh, it's a movie where the Beatles fuck around. And then, like every five minutes, there's like a music video, right? And then, uh, and then they come back. It's just sort of like, yeah, I guess <laughs> it's just kind of fun. Me, it's like I feel the appeal is seeing the Beatles perform a bunch of their songs, even though I don't like early Beatles because a lot of the early Beatles is like, girl, yeah, yeah, girl, and I don't really yeah. not a big fan of that until they get kind of uh, rubber solely. <laughs> The only Beatles movie I've seen is Yellow Submarine, which I I'm sure is the most common one watched, right? Maybe I haven't. That's the one I haven't seen. Really? I can't it find is it. weird. I can't find it anywhere. It might be out of uh, who knows. It might be rent. I mean, like I can't find it at libraries and stuff. We could probably rent it somewhere. Oh, okay. It's coming back to theaters actually this summer. I heard. Oh, okay. For its fiftieth year anniversary. Yeah, fiftieth. Well, that's that makes sense. Fifty. Yeah. Um, yeah, helps good. I like help. Um, but yeah, it's just like oh yeah, you want to see the Beatles do shit? Uh, that's it's your movie. There's a bunch of weird side characters who, you, you know, strange. Yeah, I mean, it was a whole era of, uh, and I know they they tried to revive this. I think back in the late '90s, early thousands, what, what, like Spice World, where it was like, hey, let's take this pop group or pop artist or whoever, and let's just start making movies with them. You know, so like Spice World, Crossroads with Britney Spears. Not the Ralph Macchio Crossroads, everybody. Well, that's that's a different one. A pop star trying to weasel their way into movies isn't uncommon. But a pop group, I think, is is what you can reach the comparison. Because like it's like, oh, Justin Timberlake's in this movie. What? You know, it's like yeah, that's not unusual to have some. But there was like a, I think there was like a Backstreet Boys. There was there was like a Backstreet Boys one or like In Sync. One of those two. There was a movie where they were all casted in it. Was it uh, This Is The End? <laughs> no. But I think the main guy, it was like a romantic thing, you know, boy and a girl and all this shit. And I think it was like starring Lance Bass or something. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Maybe it was 98 Degrees. Yeah. you thinking of? I don't know. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't Elvis think... had those. Uh, but again, he's one guy. Still, if, though, it was those were fucking Elvis, Elvis movies, though. But yeah. anyways, go ahead. But I don't think if it's one, if it's a single guy doing a movie, I don't count it the same as a group of people. It's different. It's like a different thing. It's like oh, this pop star is also in a movie, and as opposed to they're making a movie of this band. Well, yeah. I mean, I I guess I. Kn- Oh, okay. Like, like so, like in the Beatles movies, it's them as the Beatles. Yeah, is what you're saying. Okay. Well, there's that. And they're not playing characters, but also it's because it's all of them together. It's what. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Uh, Kiss made a movie, which I saw clips of, and it's hilariously terrible. That's um, what I hear. Yeah. Uh, we watched it in a film <laughs> studies class. Whenever my teacher like had to like get it like on eBay, like ripped onto a CD because it's like hard to find. Right. And it's like everyone look at this shit, and it's like there's like scenes where like 
the camera is like pointing at the sidewalk while ca- my ter- characters are talking. Like, their heads are like cut off by the top of the frame. It's like the most hilarious, inept thing. Well, the reason they did that was specifically because they wanted to. They were like, oh, hey, the Beatles did this. It was great. Let's do this. And then they came out with that. <laughs> like, oh, movies are hard. <laughs> Could you imagine what would be some of the worst bands to do that kind of movie with, where it's like them playing themselves in a movie? where we're supposed to sort of empathize with these protagonists. Like, who would be some of the worst bands? Like, I, f- I feel like uh, like the Stooges or something. That, w- mm. that would go over like a, a, <laughs> a wet fart. I like to see, like, a, you know how like Avengers Infinity War is like this big crossover, right? I want to see Poison versus Def Leppard versus... Rat. Rat, you know, just all of these... Kind of interchangeable '80s band, hair metal bands. Van Halen. Van Halen's a little. little Van Halen's a, a tier above those guys. I suppose so. In terms of just like famous famitude. Right. Yeah. Van Halen's got like a few, quite a few hits under their belts. You know. That's true. And uh, even Def Leppard's probably a little bit higher than those. But like, yeah, all those kind of like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen? Uh, have you seen the movie Tommy? Or have no, you heard of that? I know Tommy. It's the rock opera. That also was a really rough watch. That was a that was not a fun movie to watch. It's got Elton John as the the pinball wizard, didn't it? It has uh, Tina Turner, but it's like it was pretty. It was it, it's like the Who, mm-hmm. right? And like um, their singer is the the main character, and there's a bunch of Who songs and stuff. Doesn't it have uh, Anne Margaret like swimming in a bunch of beans or something? I'm sure it That's does. That's what I've heard about it. You know, it's actually a pretty good band movie, The Wall. Yeah. And it doesn't star the band, it stars an actual actor. Oh, yeah, because they knew better. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, we want to make art. We don't want to make bullshit. The Wall's a pretty trippy movie. Yeah. let me. Well, let me tell you, man, one of the coolest concerts I've been to, and this is not me, uh, I'm not a Roger Waters fan so much. I actually prefer David Gilmore, <gasps> but I know. I don't. I know. Don't really, right? Don't really Gasp. care. Um, but anyways, it, it's uh, it was a Roger Waters concert, big stadium thing, right? Um, and it was him playing the wall from front to back, mm-hmm. and he had all these visuals on stage, right? He had like an actual wall behind him. Um, and what he would do is it, it, there would be all this shit going on. There's like a prop plane that went from the back of this, you know, mm-hmm. building like into the wall, it like crashed into the wall. There's like these puppets that would come down from the rafters that were like, you know, three stories tall and they'd be, they're just like fucking gigantic things. Mm-hmm. He'd go up to the wall, right? Cause they're, they'd have a, a projector projecting onto the wall and sometimes it'd have bricks and other times it'd have like crazy shit going on, you know? And like, there was one time where he just like, hit the wall and then like all the bricks went back into space and all this mm. shit. It was, it was cool. Sounds like quite it a It was a really cool concert. For like the song, my favorite song on the album is The Trial. Did they have like the judge and like the, the, the uh, what do you call it, the lawyer and all that stuff? Oh, like yeah. Puppet form? Yeah. That's always cool. Now, let me ask you this. Is that your favorite Pink Floyd album? I don't really like Pink Floyd that much, so yes. Okay. Definitely not my favorite Pink Floyd album. Is it the one? Let me think. It's not Dark Side of the Moon. I'm assuming you're you're too you're too hip for that. Dark Side of the Moon, I would say, is their best. Oh, but it's not my favorite. 
uh, what's that one? It's the one with the guy in fire. Is it that one? Yeah, I wish yeah. you were here. Yeah, yeah, that one had some cool shit. I, I Pink Floyd's always a bit the. I like prog rock, and they are kind of prog rock, but they're always a little, little more psychedelic, a little more kind of slow, for my liking. Yeah, well, they. Yeah, I mean, they're. I don't know how how much you know about their story, at all, right? They had this frontman named Sid Barrett. And he was like, that was when they were just full-blown psychedelic, late mm. 60s, getting high on acid and doing all weird kind of singing about mice and shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he basically lost his mind. So then they had, then they went into this next phase of Pink Floyd where they had to like sort of figure out what they're doing again. And I, th- I Roger Waters, I think, is their bassist. But anyways, he became their front man... And their sound really changed and like became yeah. a lot more slow and spacey. Sort of, and yeah, it's like uh, Genesis pre and post Phil Collins. It's just like a different band, right? Oh, yeah? What? I don't know anything about Genesis. Oh, Genesis was a prog rock band with, uh, what's his fucking face? Peter Gabriel. Mm-hmm. And then he left or whatever. I'm not sure. I only really listen to Genesis. And then Phil Collins became their lead. And then, you know, Phil Collins is Phil Collins. So it became like <laughs> Phil Collins, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. So it's I don't know. It's just interesting when that kind of stuff where it's like the same band are like yes when they loner of owner of a lonely heart happened and like they just completely switched gears. Well, that's because their guitarist left. Mm -hmm. Like the guitarist that's like on the album Fragile and all that, all that seventies stuff. Like he left the band or they fired him or something, and then they brought in this other guy. And then they then they came out with that owner of a lonely heart, huge smash hit. So good for them, right? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of bands like that. And, and you know, uh, funny enough, it's a lot of 70s bands that start off as like prog rock and then going into the 80s, they change their sound because music really changed. Yeah. Like Rush did that, but Rush also retained like a quintessential Rushness to them, which is why they kind of escape it. Right. I think it's just because they there's only three of them and they're a very strong trio. Yeah. And because Neil Peart has never really changed his lyrical style. They never really changed their style of music, I think. They changed the length of the songs, but they right. never changed like how they sound. Well, suddenly everything had to be packaged. Like it went from you could have what's interesting about music in the 70s is like bands would be coming out with this stuff that's like seven or eight minutes long, like completely redundant, you know? And sometimes it would work, but other times it would be like, you know, blinded by the light, where it's just like, dude, there's no reason why blinded by the light has to be you know, the wrapped up like a deuce and all that shit. Mm. Uh, there's no reason why that song has to be seven minutes long. Like, I like Cashmere, but it goes on a bit too long. Yes, I agree. But then with MTV, all of a sudden, okay, the new model is like, we're going to make a music video, but we have enough of a budget for like three or four minutes, you guys. I think Radio Play still was shorter, though, back in the day, though. Radio, radio big, play ones? Yeah, I think like radio still preferred short songs for the turnaround. It's probably true. Yeah. I just know it it, it very like MTV changed a lot of things. And like it's weird seeing a lot of the 70s musician musicians trying to adapt to 80s because a lot of them couldn't. Like Stevie Wonder knocking it out of the park in the 70s and then the 80s I don't know, you know, like 
Name a name an eighties Stevie Wonder song. I don't know. I can't tell you what when he wrote. What, I just so. I just called to say I love you. Who who? who? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when he wrote what. And then Pink Floyd sort of, sort of broke up in the eighties, but you know. And then Led Zeppelin didn't make it through the eighties. Rush did. Rush did. Rush's weakest stuff's in the eighties, but they're like first half of the eighties is pretty pretty good. Oh yeah. Like uh, subdivisions and um, subdivisions, yeah, and uh, da, 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 or even Time Stand Still. That was eighty-seven, I think. So they they got a good smattering of hits. That music video for Time Stand Still, yep, that's a crazy one. Yep. <laughs> Did I ever tell you my favorite music video of all time is Separate Ways by Journey? Oh, it's great. Have you ever seen that one? That's amazing. It's great. It's the best. It's just everyone. So picture this. First of all, everyone. Stop this podcast, search Google search, or YouTube search, uh, Separate Ways by Journey, the music video. And if you can't do that, it's a bunch of dudes playing instruments on a dock, but yep. they just like, kind of cut into their hands sometimes, and like their keyboards sometimes playing it on the wall, and they're kind of just stalking some woman. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like it's the most 80s thing you could possibly think of. Yeah, and speaking of Journey, that's a band that in the 70s, they were an instrumental prog rock band. And then by the '80s, they were uh, like a pop arena rock band did, with with yeah. that singer. ELO didn't survive the '80s, did they? Mm, a little bit, but not really. Boston didn't really. Yeah. I mean, like in the in the way, like I think the band did, but like in terms of like popularity, hit, no hit makers. Because um, that's the thing, I have I have most of ELO's CDs, but by like I think '87, they that's a good ways in the '80s. Stopped. Though. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you also got to consider, like, it was probably... Because ELO, I imagine at some point, they're on top of the fucking world, right? Mm. But it was probably diminishing returns for, like, a couple of those albums, right? Where it's like, okay, this album didn't do well. We'll give you, like, another one. If that doesn't do well, then I don't know. You know. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> and they did the soundtrack to Xanadu. Oh, yeah. And then, well, Queen, uh, they survived, and then some. Yes. So they did the soundtrack to Highlander. Right. And uh, what was the other movie they did the soundtrack to? Oh, fuck. Uh, Flash Gordon. Yeah. Flash. Really? Like, I think um, Queen was just, they were just like masters of licensing their music. It seems like that. They're also just great. Well, yeah, that too. (laughs) I mean, Queen, Queen was kind of waning until... Uh, Wayne's World, I hear, until Wayne's World was like, oh, remember Bohemian Rhapsody? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that song's great. And then they kind of came back. And then Freddie Mercury died, away, like, a year later? Or was he, was he already dead by then? I think uh, it was definitely, it was after Wayne's World. But Wayne's World was 92. And I'm pretty sure he died in, in 92 also. Uh, let's, oh, no, 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 he died in 91. And then Wayne's World came out, um... In it came out in '92. Oh, that's sad. So it may have been one of those situations where it was like, "Hey, we're we're paying tribute to this, you know, we're paying tri- tribute to uh, Freddie Mercury." Did here. Bowie? How's he? His eighties? Did he get there? No, he fucking. Here's the thing with Bowie, and this is another great example. Like in the '70s, he did really ambitious shit. In, with his music, and he, of course he was all coked out and in like eighty pounds and like no eyebrows and shit. Um, but his music was amazing. Like in the seventies, it was a lot of great stuff. And then by the eighties, he 
<sighs> like one of the most divisive Bowie albums is Let's Dance. Because I like that song. Well, I had Let's Dance, Modern Love, and China Girl, right? But for the Bowie fan, it's like, oh, this is like pop, and it's like not him, and mm-hmm. it's like it's really like carefree kind of light stuff, mm-hmm. and we're you know we're used to the fucking tormented Bowie and shit. But then after that album came out, it was like a big smash hit, and then after that album came out, like his. He lost popularity for a while until, until the nineties. Till the labyrinth. Well, I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah. You know, the Rolling Stones kind of did okay in the eighties, right? They had that one song. Oh, start me up. Yeah, and uh, they were didn't they? Uh, have you ever seen? Oh my god, have you seen? Everyone, everyone, stop this podcast. We'll just watch this on YouTube. It's uh, the music video for Dancing in the Street with David Bowie and Mick Jagger, but they took out all of the sound. Yeah. Or they rather they took out all the music and shit, they replaced it with their own sound effects. It's the fucking funniest thing. Yeah, that's pretty great. It's just too... It, it looks like... It just becomes two <laughs> weirdos just dancing around in, in, at night in a warehouse. Yep. Uh, you really get the experience of uh, being on the set and watching these two do this. Yeah. Although they probably had, yeah, they probably had the music playing on a house speaker. Yeah, but still. But, uh, yeah, that, that was a great video. What a, you know, that, that honestly, I think is those two guys at their worst. That video and that song and just them acting like these fucking 40-year-old, like, like, um, it's, it's like watching... Uh, just I don't know. It's they're it's like watching goofballs just goof off. That you know what I mean. Yeah. And it's in it, and I can't stress enough. Like there was, it's like if it, okay, it's like if Marilyn Manson and Jack White, if they were to get together now and be like, hey man, let's do dancing in the street. I'll wear my turquoise. <laughs> like if Jack White was like. I'll wear a turquoise um, long sleeve shirt that's too big for me and magenta pants. And you go ahead and Marilyn Manson, go ahead and like wear a zebra thing or whatever the hell it is. And we're just going to have a (laughs) just a fun old time. We're going to cheese it up for four minutes. That's what it's like. Hmm. That sounds fun. Yeah. (laughs) I want to see that. I would actually I would like to see that, too. <laughs> um yeah sorry i went on a little bit of a tirade there just trying to think of more 70s bands that didn't survive in the 80s um i'm sure there's quite a few but yeah it's you know what it is is i think rock specifically rock music was dead by the 80s because by 77 punk became a huge thing you know what was actually a and then also synth a rock and Sorry, roll band that seemed to do pretty well like 1980 like on 1980 was a uh, ACDC yeah with they went back in black yeah and then yeah. I think the kind of that was because that, that that their lead singer died right and they got the new guy for black and black and that was in 1980 right yeah yeah but I mean I don't think they were around the Crazy Train was 1982. Also, I mean, right. Also, right. All I know is like it's it's. Um, 
I don't, yeah, I mean, I can't quite, like, I'm not an expert. No, definitely I'm, not. Absolutely not. But I just know that by, like, like, for whatever reason, 1977 stands out in my mind as being a year where suddenly synthesizers became this big new thing. Do you think it was Star Wars? It could have been. People like, oh, fuck know? sci-fi, let's get some synth. But there was bands like Kraftwerk oh, and, Kraftwerk. like... And like Gary Newman, but he was like by like 1980 probably, and like uh, and then punk was a big thing. Like I remember, um, like Ramones style punk. Well, like Sex Pistols and the Clash. Uh, when was the Ramones? Was that 70s punk. Ramones was uh, probably more 80s, I okay. think. Probably 80s. Oh, hey, they had a Beatles esque fucking uh, movie. Uh, oh, did Rock they? Rock and Roll High School. Oh, wow. Where they're like, it's a rock and roll high school, and they just like tear it to the ground. I don't know. <laughs> and then they made a shitty sequel. I don't even know if they were in it. Wow. I, the, okay, I had a lot of great professors in Santa, at, at San Jose State, mm-hmm. but the one professor that I really was happy that, like, I walked away from his class being like, damn, what an awesome fucking guy. So he's probably in his mid-80s now. Right, but in the eighties, he was like in his forties, mm-hmm. and he started a punk band, a New York punk band, mm-hmm. and like he used to go around. Um, he was like in that scene when a lot of those bands were still in that scene, like like Iggy Pop. His whole uh, like rev- like Iggy Pop's career was revitalized by the eighties, so he was around in and around New York a lot. And like the Ramones and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But it was cr- like, um, I don't know where I was going with that, but I just thought it was really cool that this guy, like he got married, I think when he was 21. And then after he got divorced, he just had this whole kind of, I don't want to say it's a midlife crisis. It sounds kind of like a midlife crisis. I don't want to say it's a midlife crisis, but... Um, mm. A midlife seizing of opportunity. He just would like go to other countries and do all this crazy shit and like started a punk band and like was up and coming. You know, well, he wasn't he wasn't up and coming, but he was in and around a lot of these 80s punk bands in New York, which I thought was cool. That's cool. It's really yeah. cool. I always like I have teachers who are just like, how did the, how the fuck are, do you, are you a teacher and have like the most fascinating life? Right. Like, I just knew I had a teacher in college who was like. He was like a one. He was like an ex. Like he was like a recover. He was uh, in his youth. He was an alcoholic and he recovered. And like, oh wow, he like discovered like Tina Fey and like he knew all these celebrities and wow. he like owned a bunch of theaters and he was like married into the White Sox and it's like <laughs> Jesus Christ, what the fuck? And he was a great screenwriting professor too. So yeah, that's uh, I mean, honestly, dude, like. That's not something I, I, I know it, it kind of, it seems to be this weird thing that society has where they sort of look down on educators, you know, for whatever reason, like, but I honestly think it's, it's, it would be a great thing to do sometime in my life. What, to teach? Yeah. People like you know? professors, people like college professors are like, ooh, a professor, ooh. But like, right. I think it's like other teachers, like. High school, elementary teachers, society is like, whatever. Right, Which yeah. is incorrect. It is. Wrong answer, see me after class, society. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So I saw some other movies. Yeah, let's hear it. So the other movie, I mentioned that the other week, uh, I rented Spellbound, the Hitchcock movie, saw that. Oh, okay. Pretty cool. Um, it's okay. I mean, like, it's not, it's good. It's a good movie. Um, a little old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. A lot of, like, a woman doctor, because the main character is a woman who's also a doctor. It's like, <laughs> oh, you women, let your emotions get ahead of your, or whatever. It's a lot of, a lot of that. So product of its time, Bit basically. of a bit yeah. old-fashioned. <laughs> but there's some actually kind of really cool, um moments like some cool camera work there's like some really good moments of like tension that hitchcock orchestrates because of course he does yeah it's just some cool camera stuff that i really liked and there's also this dream sequence it's famous for having a dream sequence designed by salvador dolly oh wow um the movie though it's kind of dumb because the movie this guy's got a dream sequence and they analyze it but the movie is it's like this movie is now dream work like the movie <laughs> it's kind of funny i think it's like i don't know when freud was a thing like, I forget exactly, because I studied all those guys. I forgot the timeline, though. But, like, it was, like, I think the movie was in, like, 1945, and it was, like, psychoanalysis. I was, like, what's this new thing? It's, like, no. it like it goes kind of overboard explaining how, like, you know, psychiatrists work and, like, analyzing dreams and stuff. It's kind of, like, normal nowadays. Yeah, it's right. It's kind of funny. <laughs> but, like, in the, the dream sequence they have is, like, super stupid because everything has, like, a one-to-one meaning for the real life. It's like, I was in this room, and it had, like, a bunch of things. It's like, well, that room is like, well, here's the example in the movie. It's like, I was running down a hill and being chased by a big pair of wings. It's like, a hill, it's kind of like in a valley, and the wings are like angels. It's like, there's this ski resort called Gabriel Valley. That's it. It's like, that's <laughs> fucking, that's not how things work. Couldn't you imagine if life did work that way? That would be so strange. Where everything is like a meaning but coded it's like a, a big veil of bullshit in your yeah. dreams. That would be really Your annoying. dreams give you clues to mysteries in real life. <laughs> well, in this in this movie, it was just my dreams are my memories that I, I have amnesia. And these are my memories right. in a dumb code. Yeah. But was it a, it was a good movie? It is a good movie. It's another Hitchcock classic. All right. Would recommend. Um, How many movies has he actually... Quite a few, quite a few. Directed. I mean, I'm sure, because back then I feel like there was less time, I don't want to say less time spent on a movie, but it seems like you could you could sort of be putting out movies more frequently than you do nowadays, right? Yeah, it was because it's easier. Back then it was, yeah, it was more, just pump them out, put the guy set, it's very simple looking, it's black and white, don't give a fuck, let's do it. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about VFX and, you know, post production color color correcting all this other stuff and not 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 worry what i mean is like we have that stuff now to make movies heightened mm. whereas they didn't have that so stuff that's a lot like of like that. lack of extras and i don't know yeah but yeah he's he's done a lot like so you just saw psycho i saw that finally i think the only other movie i'm trying to think of the movies i mean like, he's got a bazillion movies the one i need to see that's on my list right now is frenzy it's one of his later ones huh. When did he pass? He died in 1980, huh? 80, really? Uh, born 1899, died 1980. Wow. I was curious if he was around to see uh, Psycho 2 and how horrified he would be if, you know. For some reason, I feel like he wouldn't care. Maybe not. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Look at all these fucking movies. He made a lot of old movies, too, like 30s and silent movies. Jesus Christ. That is amazing. Wow. But I guess you get into the really good stuff sort of around the 60s. Like the 50s and 60s. Vertigo, uh, Rear Window, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, I think North by Northwest is like 58, 59, something like that. Uh, family Plot. That's his last one, huh? I heard that one's not very good. Huh. Yeah, Frenzy was at 72. Frenzy was 72. Before that was Topaz, 1969. I, I don't know. Frenzy's the only one that I still that people talk about. The problem with Hitchcock is that he's made so many movies that a lot of them are just like, don't even worry about it. Right, yeah. I'm sure there's probably one or two that I either haven't seen, that I need to see, and didn't don't know it's Hitchcock. A lot, I find it very funny. A lot of people don't know. A lot of people mistake movies for Hitchcock movies. A lot of people think like, <laughs> like all right, that same professor in college who was uh, the most fascinating person also thought that the Maltese Falcon was directed by Hitchcock, and I had to correct him. I remember, he, yeah, I remember you told me that he was like, "Well, I've never been wrong before in my life, but I guess I am now." It's like interesting. Wow. We're not about it, something like that. Either well, way. and that's like a big biff, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a big whiff. A big, yeah. You, you, you give, give John Houston his due. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then, what was the other movie? Oh, people think that Charade was directed by Hitchcock also, which it wasn't. No, no. Hey, Charade's a great movie, too, if you haven't seen Charade. Haven't. It's, uh, you got uh, Audrey Hepburn uh, and um, that guy whose name I can't remember right now because all the movies are in my head right right now. Oh, fuck. Uh, it's not Humphrey Bogart. No, it? he's in the lot of Hitchcock. North by Northwest. What's that fucking guy's name? Oh, that's uh, that is James Mason. No, no, it's uh, fuck, Cary Grant. Cary Grant, thank you. So it's her and Cary Grant, and they're just having a bunch of uh, what do you call it? Uh, doing like fun, like uh, spy stuff. Some fun stuff. I don't want to describe it. (laughs) Just doing some fun stuff. Yeah, they're doing fun stuff. A lot of like, who can you trust? Who is who says this person says they're one thing, but they're really another thing, and it's a romp of some sort. Yeah. I like those kind of movies. Cary Grant has a, or should I say, um, George Clooney has a Cary Grant quality. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he's been compared before. Yeah. Not nearly as British, though. No. Uh, Speaking of charade, actually, that movie, um, because Cary Grant was like 55 and Audrey Hepburn was like 28 or something. (laughs) and um, That's normal age for romance. No, but he said, he's like, I want you to rewrite the script, so she wants to come on to me. Because otherwise, it's really fucking creepy. That's uh, a terrible that's Cary Grant impression. I mean, that's true, though. Right? Yeah. It's a bad Cary Grant impression. But they, they, they rewrote it because to make her, like, have, like, an old have person Have some agency. Thing. Have yeah. an old, a bit of an old fetish. Because, like, her... An old fetish. Well, I don't know. Because, like, her husband dies in the beginning of the movie. He was also kind of an older gentleman. So I think it just shows that she likes the older the older folk. I think they wrote that in. Right. I mean, like, people like old people. That's fine. Hey, you know... All that knowledge? Can you imagine all that knowledge you're getting to get? It turns your hair gray. It t- <laughs> turns your hair gray, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was fun. And then the last movie I saw recently boop, was, uh, boop, 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 uh, open up my, my, my movie diary, was uh, a Wacky Time, Wacky Time's any comedy, uh, Night of the Opera, the Marx Brothers film. Oh. I don't know if I've seen that one. Yeah, have you ever seen a Marx Brothers film? Uh, yes, I have. Was it? Duck soup. It was duck soup, and that was very enjoyable. I've seen an I've seen another one, but I can't remember the name of it. Um, was but duck soup had because not all of them had the fourth brother, right? I or, think I think this point, but the first one without him, it's weird. Like, okay. First of all, when I saw duck soup, I didn't know Zeppo Marx was like anybody until like the very end of the movie when they're all together. I'm like, that fucking guy was a Marx brother, right? He's like so boring. 
Well, and he's like, uh, he's kind of the normal one, right? Yeah, he was like the straight man, I guess. Yeah. And I think there's a character in the Night of the Opera that was supposed to be played by him, maybe, because like, there's four people. There's like a group a group of four guys. That are, um, there's the three Marx Brothers and some other guy. I uh-huh. feel like the other guy was supposed to be him, maybe. Huh. Maybe not. Or maybe they just didn't know how to write a movie with only three guys. <laughs> um, I think Night of the Opera was more enjoyable but Duck Soup, because I think Duck Soup suffers, in my opinion, from a lot of... You had like of the time, they're, like they're kind of like there's a lot of like weird out of place musical numbers. I feel like it's a parody. I, I read it's a parody of 1930s musicals that doesn't translate anymore. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, I didn't catch that when I saw so it. So I'm like, this is like, why has this got so many weird musical numbers? <laughs> what I love about the, uh, I, I mean, I guess I, I know I've seen a couple of, of these Marx Brothers movies, and what I love about all of them is there always has to be some scene where Harpo's playing the harp. Oh yeah, and I thought, I don't know. Does he have to always? <laughs> there's a scene like that in uh, Night at the Opera, and it's also kind of funny because it's there's a scene where they just sort of entertain a crowd by playing instruments, and it's just so weird to see showmen being showmen on screen for people in a yeah. showman capacity. It's like odd. Like usually they like like play it up and like, but like they're just like the movie just stops, and, right? Uh, and uh, uh, Chico just plays the piano. <laughs> Well, and that's also kind of the cool thing about, like, if you're looking at 1930s cinema is, like, those roles haven't been as, like, those roles aren't as established as, like, you know, it's like apples and oranges to what it is nowadays, right? Yeah, well, it's like that back then. It's like, I'm a vaudevillian actor. I'm going to put on right. a goddamn show. Yeah. And, like, I'm going to have a fake face, fake mustache and a cigar. It's going to be fun. And nowadays, right. it's, it's more, we have to make it more... I'm going to stare at you. I'm going to stare at you and talk monotone. I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> Do your David Schwimmer impression. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to... I'm a giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, also there's not that many kind of vaudevillian type performers nowadays that could sing and dance and act and play the piano. I mean, there's there's always the potential for it, but I think with the big shift between, like, early cinema and modern cinema more than anything if you're to break it down in into the most simplest difference right i think back then it was about like like the fantastical elements of a movie like mm-hmm. it's it, you're going to a place that's like fantasy you know and nowadays even if nowadays even if it is fantasy or sci-fi or whatever there's always realism in the acting you know well like it's a uh, Movies have gotten more realistic, just in general, I guess, because like the yeah. acting is much more naturalistic. Like even like, um, I think I was watching when I was watching um, Spellbound. I was just like, man, acting is just so much better nowadays. It, it total I, well, and it is, and I think nowadays it, it's you know I when you go to a movie nowadays, it, it there really is this feeling that like okay. Or hopefully there's a feeling like, okay, this person could actually exist. Like, I believe that this is a human being that I'm watching doing these things. I think it was it was like the 60s and that, that new school, the new schools of like the 60s and 70s are what changed because the 60s, like it was the first time like actors started teaching actors how to act like in that in like a for, for film. Yeah. And the first time filmmakers started teaching filmmakers to f- move, make movies. Right. And so you got this, this you know, the Spielbergs and your Scorsese's and your... Coppola's and even though the people that you don't really hear much about like uh, Friedkin's and mm-hmm. um, Bogdanovich and those kind of folks and um, so you got those people who were the first people to ever go to film school so that's why the look of film changed and you also have people like Brando who like you know have this more naturalistic form of acting which you get around the 60s and 50s 
And that's right. sort of the big sort of change. You get a lot less of the sort of stage overacting and a lot more of the four film nuance. Yeah. Brando's an interesting guy. Yeah. You know, I, I've never seen... <laughs> I mean, just with his... Just what I've heard of the stories of his work with Coppola, it seems like somebody that really gives two fucks about, like, actually being there or mm. whatever. Or, like, he's very stubborn with what he's doing, but he's still... Like, when he does it, it's, like, still brilliant. Like, he's such a good actor that, like, he doesn't fucking... He doesn't sh- like he's not. He's just like he's let the camera roll on him and he'll do his thing. But he doesn't fucking give a shit. You know, he's like not. He's not professional at all. Right. I'd love to see a movie about Marlon Brando. Like, uh, it'd be hard yeah. to it'd be hard to to cast an actor to play the world's greatest actor, quote unquote. Um, and like, you know, they used to get really fat and sassy, but uh, it'd, <laughs> and sassy. It'd be fun to see. I'd like to see that. I just finished a book about the, and it was actually a very sad book to read, but it it was called The History of the, the, okay, what is it called? The Indigenous People's History of the United States, right? And the whole book is basically a huge tragedy because, like, you know, I mean, you know the too whole story. Too much to go into, unfortunately. Too much to go into, but... It, Long story short, it's like we lived. Uh, th- this country has a long history of of genocidal stuff going on. But anyways, um, just darn white people. Marlon Brando actually was like a huge advocate for the rights of indigenous peoples. Yeah, he protested the Oscars. Yeah, which was, a- and he threw money into uh, into uh, certain things to you know help preserve or, or help you know give back to yeah. to tribes and stuff. So I thought that was really cool. Interesting fellow. Just don't work with him. Yeah. Do you ever hear, like, he was in the movie The Score, directed by Frank Oz, and he wouldn't take directions from Frank Oz? It's like, why don't you put, my, you put your hand up my ass and make, make me a puppet Miss Piggy? <laughs> like, that's literally, you'd say that to him. He also wouldn't call, you also call him Miss Piggy, and he had to have <laughs> Martin, Mar, or sorry, uh, uh, Robert, Robert De, Niro. De Niro had to give him direction. Uh, I... I saw that movie in theaters. I saw that movie in theaters, and it wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad movie. It wasn't a good. It wasn't a great movie. Why doesn't Frank Oz directed movies? What happened? I didn't even know unless, until you told me that. I didn't know that he directed that movie. He directed also. He directed Little Shop of Horrors. He directed uh, the remake of The Stepford Wives. He directed uh, Death at a Funeral. I think the British version. Huh. Um. I'm missing something. But I mean, if you're if you're talking about a like just a nice simple heist movie. That was a pretty good one. It was, a, you know, just a Saturday afternoon heist movie. You got Robert De Niro. You got Edward Norton. Oh, yeah, Norton. You got um, Marlon Brando. I did not know that was Marlon Brando because he looks... He did yeah. not look like Marlon Brando in that movie. You know, he didn't wear pants, so they only film from the waist up. Yeah. Well, there's a shot where he's sitting... Um, there's a shot where he's, like, sitting by a pool. Mm-hmm. And he's not, he doesn't have pants on. And I'm pretty sure they just, uh, I'm pretty sure they just shot him next to this pool because he, that would make sense because he didn't have pants on during the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, again, I saw it when I was a kid, so I have no idea if he was good. 
But I feel like he was all right. Mm. Whatever. <laughs> that was his last, though, I think. That was his last movie, I think, right? Maybe. Around there. Yeah. It was in that weird Dr. Moreau movie, which I never saw. Oh. It's probably one of the most troubled productions of all time. You should watch that documentary. Really? When did that come out? Like 98. Oh, okay. This was... Uh, to the 2000, I think. Early, yeah. early thousands, yeah. And then he died in 2004. Huh. There's a good um, Simpsons joke um, where Homer's trying to get a uh, world record, and he goes to like the Guinness fo- uh, Foundation, like or like their their headquarters, uh-huh. and he sit next to, sits next to someone that looks like Marlon Brando. He's like, "Wow, you're a cinch for the world's fast man." He's like, "Well, actually, I'm here for the world's greatest actor." <laughs> <coughs> it's a fun joke. Yeah, Simpsons joke for every occasion. Oh yeah, there's a whole library of there's a whole vault. And even though I've only watched I only watched Simpsons up to like season twelve, and even then, it was a little getting pretty dicey near the end. But I every you know week I'm like that. Right, this this situation reminds me of the Simpsons. Well, depending on who you ask, um, Simpsons either took a turn either in season eight or in season ten, depending on who you ask. Um, but the common, I would say ten. Okay. If I had to, I think the seasons has uh, the Simpsons has good moments up through twelve. Okay. I can like, but by season twelve, you're getting like half hits as opposed to the more consistent <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, I don't know. It's there's and maybe it's because I was young. Here's the thing: I've only seen bits and pieces of like I've only seen random episodes of Simpsons. I've never watched it. Like season one to season whatever. Watch season three to see season three to season nine is what they recommend if you want the the peak. Well, actually, okay, I did see season three. Mm-hmm. Someone let me borrow the box set for season three, so I have seen all that. That's the one with like the weird Michael Jackson, yeah. bald guy. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a good season, and I think that's also the one where like Marge has a breakdown and then takes a vacation by herself or something. Yeah, season three is still a little like weird for. Like it's like those episodes still like just thinking about them. It's like yeah, those they were still kind of like like both in terms of like the the look and the feel a little more rough. Getting their footing still. Yeah. yeah. Season three tends to which shows in general. It seems like season three is either make or break, and like like yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a show that got better after season three. Well, unless you're like I have. Like, well, like what show? Seinfeld for sure. No, like, no shows that like have three bad seasons and then suddenly get good. I mean, oh no, that doesn't happen. Yeah. If it's bad, if if you're still a bad show by season three, forget it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're gone. And I don't mean like you know, it's bad shows. Like I'm thinking like a bad show, like a like a like a like a lazy sitcom. One of the many CBS sitcoms. And it's like <laughs> they got ten seasons of any show, but like I've, I've never heard of like oh this show was really bad for three seasons, but then got like really good. You know that never happens. No. Yeah, you're too far in the hole. Yeah. I guess like the the breakdown between networks back at least back in the day, I don't know how it is now. I have no idea what the sitcom landscape is now, but it seems like NBC is like typically like with quality control, that seems to be the best. Um I think that NBC and ABC sort of kept trading off for a while cbs was in their own little bubble where they just have hugely successful shows that nobody thinks are good right like everybody except for old people 
Well, like CBS had like Everybody Loves Raymond, King, that, oh. King of Queens. Well, I was thinking modern CBS where it's like Two Broke Girls and Big Bang Theory and those kind of shows. Oh, yeah. Where nobody, you know, where everyone, the millennials fucking think it's garbage, but like <laughs> everyone over 40 loves those shows. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, I don't know about your parents, but my parents still watch all all of those. I don't think my parents really watch many sitcoms. They don't talk about it much. I think they, I don't know what they watch. They watch. I know my mom watches more like, like buying house shows and this kind of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the, what what the shows are these days. I should ask them. And you know, for the longest time, especially like when I had just moved out, but like for a few years, maybe even all the way through college, they would ask me, "Oh, oh, do you watch Big Bang Theory or whatever?" And every time I'd just be like, "I don't." have i don't don't have cable (laughs) i'd always say no because it's kind of dumb oh yeah even though i have friends who are like nerdier than i am who love the bing bang theory and i just remember watching they're like oh my god you gotta watch the show and i watched it i'm like this just seems so pandering like it is it seems very insulting to to nerds and also pandering to them at the same time it what it is is it's it's nerd culture but it's like very uh it's like someone who's not a nerd writing about nerd culture uh, like i I've, I've only seen a couple episodes and what turned me off right away was one they got all hyped about meeting stanley mm-hmm. and i'm like dude how basic can you get like come on now you could you could throw a, a little bit more obscure name than stanley at this and, and make it work you can keep the leaves make it jim lee make it jim lee yeah exactly right and then there was a joke about ghostbusters where i was like oh i found the script for ghostbusters and and they're like, one or two. And they're like, oh, Ghostbusters 2. And then he threw it in the trash. And I was like, well, but it's just like common knowledge. Like, this isn't like necessarily nerd stuff, you know? Yeah, no. Like, that's the, I remember this episode I watched. My friend was like, watch this show. It's so good. It was like, they were like, it's like, oh, man, I can't talk to girls unless I'm drunk. It's like, this is like the most borderline, like, lazy shit. Yeah. I've ever seen, like, whatever. Like, I've seen this story a hundred times. It wasn't funny the first time. And then, of course, they have to have, you know, okay, hey, social awareness minute with Mike Harding. Uh, of course, they have to have the, the, I feel, a very outdated trope of like, oh, hey, here's the only woman in this show, and she's really attractive, and she she's not, she's like just boring and not a nerd and like just somehow accessible to whatever main character to like eventually end up yeah. with to and be fair the show's been around for like 20 years or whatever it's been yeah. now so like maybe back then it probably wasn't a big deal um, yeah probably not <laughs> i don't it, know it like, just seems very outdated i'm not saying all. it's you shouldn't i don't know there are people who like the show and i'm not saying it's wrong to like the show obviously and it might be funny because i only saw one episode it might have been a bad one but i just like i don't know from what i've seen and the way everyone talks about it it's just like this seems like a, sort of like a dumb show yeah but i hate sitcoms in general i guess so I don't think they work the way they used to. I don't like three camera sitcoms. They tend to be I don't know like like Seinfeld's great. I don't like laugh tracks that much. I don't like three camera sitcoms. It's like it's like the style of them. I don't really get behind. Seinfeld works though. I like Seinfeld. I don't watch Seinfeld. I've seen a few episodes like completely, but that seems quality stuff. Friends. I'm nah, not into Friends, not but into I friends. respect Friends. Seinfeld has this weird quality of sort of transcending space and time. But I agree with you. Like, they're most sitcoms, just the way they're set up, um, they don't have the kind of lasting power they did. And and the reason why I think is, 
uh, TV started moving away from the sitcom format. Mm-hmm. TV started moving away from the three camera laugh track format. You know, so, and I think once you go, once you get out of that, once you're like in like the office mode or like, uh, you know, this is not a good example, but like the new girl or whatever, where it is just basically a comedy, but it's shot. Yeah. You know, differently. It's a, it's a single camera. Situation. Right. Single camera. It's, it's shot single camera and there's no laugh track and it's like, oh, this is working without that shit. Like. I don't understand why there'd be a reason to go back. Like, I don't understand why you'd have to carry the torch of this, like, sort of weird, outdated format of storytelling. You know, I was just thinking, I want to hear some anecdotal, anecdotal evidence from anyone who knows, talking to the audience, uh, if you want to write in. Mm-hmm. Um, like, people re- will rewatch Seinfeld and Friends, but, like, no one's really clamoring to watch, rewatch, like, Home Improvement. No. Or, like, Fresh Prince, or, like, uh, uh, oh, uh fucking, uh, Everybody and loves everyone Raymond. Like no one really cares. About, like those shows, people like rewatch The Office and rewatch Gilmore Girls, and they'll rewatch all these shows. But no one seems to rewatch other older, popular, even even kind of popular three camera sitcoms. I wonder if that yeah. just doesn't have good rewatchability. Maybe because a lot of them are very of the time. Uh, that's what I would say. Like a lot of them are like super nineties or super two thousands right. or whatever. Like Roseanne is like so Rose, you know, so nineties. <laughs> And people love that new Roseanne. Apparently, that was a smash hit. You oh, know really? That? I didn't it know. It was that. Like an explosive hit. Yeah. Wow. They are, like after an episode, it was like they got like twenty million viewers or something like huge. Jesus Christ! And like season two was green like the, like the day after. Is it now? Is that going like weekly? Is that on like network stuff? I think it's like a normal weekly show for what was it? I think ABC it was an ABC show. Oh, okay. Because that was it was when we watched the Oscars, which is ABC. They were like, "Oh my yeah, God, Roseanne!" That's right. That's it's right. Like, oh right, yeah. Prepare your butts. Roseanne's <laughs> coming back. Sure. Yeah. John Goodman, fine. like him getting was getting some work. Yeah. I mean, John Goodman, like, he'll never have to worry about getting roles ever again. Well, he wouldn't anyways, but good on him for like, you yeah. know, coming back to television. All right. Being a team player. John Goodman seems like a stand up guy. I've heard nothing but good things. Oh yeah. I'm sure he's he's great. I'm sure he's a peach. Mm-hmm. That guy. He's just a peach. George Peach, <laughs> like in uh, Oh Brother, where art thou? Yeah, where he takes a frog and and just slams it into a tree. Oh yeah, well he plays a dick in that movie. I'm just saying, <laughs> this is from the south, and there's peaches in the south. Oh, I loved that part where they 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 stumble or they don't stumble into the KKK meeting, but like they go into the KKK it's meeting, a bit of a stumbling. But it's to save their friend. Um, oh right, but he's creeping up on them and he just has the one eye hole. Uh-huh. I loved that because for the audience that hasn't seen Oh Brother Art Thou, first of all, see it, but he plays a Cyclops in the movie. And by that, I mean he has an eye patch and they refer to him as a Cyclops. So then when they meet him later on at the KKK meeting, he just has one eye hole instead of two. You want something really stupid? Huh? That movie changed my life. That's not stupid. Because here's the way it's stupid. Um, I never liked my hair growing up, and then I saw that movie, and George Clooney's like, I'm a Dapper Dan man, gotta give me some of that pomade, I'm like, pomade, you say? And so I started, I went to the store, and I bought some pomade after that, and I'm like, holy shit, I can, like, style my hair, I don't have to, like, just, like, let it, you know, poof out in the breeze, I can actually <laughs> do shit with my hair, what? And it changed my life. Now now, now I know how to, how to you know, make myself look good. 
So you're a Dapper Dan man. I am a Dapper Dan man. <laughs> Sleep with the hair nut and everything. No, not really, but it's like it was like, oh my god, hair products. Like what? Like I always just I all, all I never knew about before that was like hair gel, and it was always like too thick, and it would just like it would because I was in the in the 90s. It's like kids used to spike their hair. It's like this is just right. spiky. I didn't know there was something that was less extreme. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't know, you know, as a guy living on my own. I just like I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, in, in a dumb way, it changed my life. Well, there you go. Thanks, the Cohens. You're welcome. <laughs> I say for them. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> You're welcome. What was that? Sounds like Kylo Ren. You're welcome. <laughs> Anyways, I think that's a a good. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Yeah, get it? Clapboard. Wait, wait, clapboard doesn't, doesn't stop at the end of the, of the shot. I don't even know anything about movies. I think it's it's like a bell or something. Oh, uh, yeah. Like yeah. yeah. Cut, we- <laughs> print, let's go to lunch. So if you want to reach us on one of our various reachable places, we got certain places such as filmtesticvoyage.com, filmtesticvoyage at gmail.com, filmtesticvoyage on Facebook. Um, we should get more so we can just keep going. Just keep on rattling just off keep places naming to reach shit. A yeah, we're on Friendster, P.O. Box, MySpace. Um, write us a letter at this <laughs> random mailing place. You can call us. We have a payphone that Visit we the- hear it ring. We'll, we'll answer it. <laughs> Visit the Filmtastic Voyage Museum. It's down here in L.A. <laughs> you can see Alex Keller's famous jacket that he wears every episode. That would be funny if it was true. I'm not. I don't wear a jacket every visit. No. But they don't know that. Oh, damn. Uh, listen, everybody. We're a part of a bigger podcast network. <laughs> I got, so I was just thinking, oh, I got my podcasting goggles on. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, <laughs> when you said that, I picture you putting these goggles on and you just see my skeleton. Like, oh. <laughs> That's why I'm so jovial. It's like I see your little skull going. Ah, da, 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 da. You see X-ray vision of me for whatever reason. Uh, we're a part of the Let Me Listen Podcast Network. It's a bigger network of podcasts, movie-related and otherwise. Uh, so please check us out. It's just like real life. Everything's either movie-related or otherwise. <laughs> it's movie-centric, but there's other <laughs> podcasts that are not. Just like my life. Just like, yes. Just like your life and just like my life. Um we're on SoundCloud. Just look up Let Me Listen Podcasts. Uh, leave us some comments. Leave us some ratings. Hey, we want to be your friends. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that, but, you know, show us some love. We want to interact with you. Um, someday we'll come out with T-shirts, but not now. Yeah. Anyways, um, I guess we're, we're signing up. that off. Bingo Fantastic T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yep. Uh, well, we'll, we'll see you. Ne- we'll see you next week. Uh, ooh, oh, oh, yeah. Guess what? Infinity War comes out in two days. Oh, fucking shit. Oh yeah. So uh, prepare for that uh, mini sode and uh, keep we'll- your nipples hard. Yeah. Until then, see ya.